Chapter Fifteen, Part One, of Vandover and the Brute. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Vandover and the Brute by Frank Norris, Chapter Fifteen, Part One. About a week later, Hiram Wade, Ida's father, brought suit against Vandover to recover $25,000, claiming that his daughter had killed herself because she had been ruined by him and that he alone was responsible for her suicide. Vandover had passed this week in an agony of grief over the loss of his art, a grief that seemed even sharper than that which he had felt over the death of his father. For this last calamity was like the death of a child of his some dear sweet child that might have been his companion throughout all his life at times it seemed to him impossible that his art should fail him in this manner and again and again he would put himself at his easel only to experience afresh the return of the numbness in his brain the impotency of his fingers he had begun little by little to pick up the course of his life once more and on a certain wednesday morning was looking listlessly through the morning paper as he sat in his window seat the room was delightful flooded with the morning sun the assyrian bas-reliefs just touched with the ruddy light the renaissance portraits looking down at him through a fine golden haze a little fire just enough to blunt the keenness of the early morning air snapping in the famous tiled and flamboyant stove all about the room was a pleasant fragrance of coffee and good tobacco vandover caught sight of the announcement of the suit with a sudden sharp intake of breath that was half gasp half cry starting up from the window seat reading it over again and again with staring eyes it was a very short paragraph not more than a dozen lines lost at the bottom of a column among the cheap advertisements it made no allusion to any former stage of the affair from its tone ida might have killed herself only the day before it seemed hardly more than a notice that some enterprising reporter burrowing in the records at the city hall had unearthed and brought to light with the idea that it might be of possible interest to a few readers of the paper but there was his name staring back at him from out the gray blur of the type like some reflection of himself seen in a mirror insignificant as the paragraph was it seemed to vandover as though it was the only item in the whole paper one might as well have trumpeted his crime through the streets but twenty five thousand dollars exclaimed vandover terrified where will i find twenty five thousand dollars and at once he fell to wondering as to whether or no in default of payment he could be sent to the penitentiary the idea of winning the suit did not enter his mind an instant he did not even dream of fighting it for a moment it was like fire driving out fire he forgot the loss of his art his mind filled only with the sense of the last disaster what could he do twenty five thousand dollars it would ruin him a cry of exasperation of rage at his own folly escaped him ah what a fool i've been for an hour he raged to and fro in the delightful sunlit room pacing back and forth 
in its longest dimension between the bamboo tea-table and the low bookcase a thousand different plans and projects coming and going in his head as his wits steadied themselves he began to see that he must consult at once with some lawyer field of course perhaps something could be done a clever lawyer might make out a case for him after all but all at once he became convinced that field would not undertake his defence he knew he had no case so what could field do for him he would have to tell him the truth and he saw with absolute clearness that the lawyer would refuse to try to defend him the thing could not honourably be done but then what should he do he must have legal advice from some quarter he was still in this state of perplexity when charlie geary arrived pounding on the door and opening it immediately afterward as was his custom hello said vandover surprised hello charlie is that you say exclaimed geary without returning his greeting holding up his hand as if to interrupt him say have you seen your lawyer yet seen any lawyer no answered vandover shaking his head gravely no i've only this minute read about it in the paper he was glad that geary had come at once he felt a desire to throw this burden upon his chum's shoulders to let him assume the management of the affair just as in the old college days he had willingly weakly submitted to the dictatorship of the shrewder stronger man who smoothed out his difficulties for him and extricated him from all his scrapes he knew geary to be full of energy and resource and he had confidence in his ability as a lawyer even though he was so young in years and experience besides this he was his friend his college chum for all geary's disagreeable qualities he knew he would do the right thing by him now you're the one man of all others i wanted to see he exclaimed as he gripped his hand by george i'm glad you have come here sit down and let's talk this over geary took the big leather chair behind the desk and vandover flung himself again upon the window-seat it was as if the two were back in the room in matthews hundreds of times in those days they had occupied precisely these positions geary bending over at the study table intent nervous very keen vandover lounging idly upon the window-seat resting easily on his elbow listening to the other man's advice now what must i do charlie vandover began see my lawyer i suppose but do you think a lawyer like field would take my case you know i haven't a leg to stand on but you haven't seen him inquired geary sharply haven't seen anybody about it vandover shook his head sure insisted geary anxiously why i have only just heard about it twenty minutes ago protested vandover why are you so particular about that he added then geary exploded his mind because he said with a smile of triumph that he could not restrain because we are the counsel for the other side i am on the case vandover bounded from the window seat speechless with astonishment bitterly disappointed you he shouted geary slowly nodded his head enjoying vandover's bewilderment vandover dropped back upon the cushions again staring at him wildly with growing suspicion and anger he would not have thought it possible that geary could so sacrifice their old friendship to his own personal interest 
the two continued staring at each other across the table for a moment in the silence they heard the long rumble of a cable car passing the house and the persistent jangling of its bell as it approached the street crossing a grocery wagon went up the side street the horse's hoofs making a cadenced clapping sound upon the asphalt well exclaimed vandover scornfully i suppose that's business but i would call it damned unkind now look here old man returned geary consolingly don't you take the monkey wrench off the safety valve like that what am i here for if it isn't to help you maybe you don't know that this is a mighty unprofessional thing to do ah you bet if old beale knew this i would get it right in the neck don't you suppose i can help you more as wade's lawyer than i could as yours and now that's the very first thing i've got to tell you to keep this dark that i have seen you i can't do anything for you if you won't promise that oh it's all right returned vandover reassured that's all right you can it's not considered the right thing to do geary continued not heeding vandover's answer but i just do it because he began to make awkward gestures with both his hands because we're old friends like that that was the very first thing i thought of when beale jr told me that we too had the case that i could get you out of this hole better as wade's lawyer than as your own ah you bet i was clever enough to see that the first thing i'm sure it was awfully good of you old man said vandover sincerely i'm in a lot of trouble nowadays well now don't you bother van answered geary consolingly i guess we can pull you out of this all right he drew up to the table looking about from side to side got any writing paper concealed about the premises he asked vandover pushed him over his writing pad and geary taking the cap from his fountain pen began asking a series of questions taking down his answers in shorthand after he had asked him as to his age length of residence in the city his property and some few other technical matters he leaned back in his chair and said now let's hear your side of the story van i don't suppose you like to go over the thing again but you see i ought to know vandover told of the affair geary making notes as he went along it was nearly noon before their interview was at an end then geary gathered up the papers and reached for his hat and stick saying well now that's all we can do today i think i'll be up to see you again day after tomorrow in the afternoon beale jr and i have a date with mr wade again tomorrow i think and i can talk to you more definitely after that you know this is the devil of a thing to do he suddenly exclaimed apprehensively this playing back and forth between the two parties like this regularly dishonorable don't you know if you think it's dishonorable said vandover as he accompanied geary to the door if you think it's dishonorable charlie why don't do it i don't want to ask you to do anything dishonorable for me oh that's all right replied geary uneasily i had just as soon do it for you only listen to this don't you say a word about the case to anybody not to your lawyer not to anybody if field should write to you you tell him you have counsel already and look here you may have the reporters up here pretty soon and don't you open your face to them you mind that don't you let them get a thing out of you and there's another thing you must understand i'm not your lawyer of course 
you see that i could be disbarred if i was a lawyer for both sides it's like this you see i'm wade's lawyer at least the firm i am with are his lawyers and of course i'm acting in wade's interest but you're an old chum of mine and if i can i'm going to try and make it easier for you you understand don't you yes i understand charlie answered vandover you are just a brick vandover passed the rest of the day in his sitting-room the suspense of the situation slowly screwing his nerves tenser and tenser he walked for hours back and forth his hands clasped behind his back his head bent down his forehead drawn into a frown of anxiety and exasperation for he stood for a long time at the window looking out into the street with eyes that saw nothing at supper that night he found that his appetite had left him the very thought of food revolted him he returned to his room between seven and eight o'clock his body and mind completely fagged feeling a crying need of some diversion some escape from the thoughts that had been hounding him all day he made up his mind to read a little before going to bed and all at once remembered a book that he had once begun a long time ago but had never finished the story of two men who had bought a wrecked opium ship for fifty thousand dollars and had afterwards discovered that she contained only a few tins of the drug he had never read on to find out how that story turned out suddenly he found himself repeating twenty five thousand dollars twenty five thousand dollars where will i find twenty five thousand dollars he wondered if he would go to jail if he failed to pay his interest in the book was gone in a moment and he took up another of his favorite novels the story of a boy at the time of christ a jewish boy unjustly condemned to the gallows liberated afterward and devoting his life to the overthrow of his enemy whom at last he overcame and humbled fouling him in a chariot race all but killing him he sat down in the huge leather chair and drawing it up to the piano lamp and cocking his feet upon the table began to read in a few moments the same numbness stole into his head like a rising fog a queer tense feeling growing at the back of his forehead and at the base of his skull a dullness a strange stupefying sensation as of some torpid murky atmosphere he looked about him quickly all the objects in the range of his vision the corner of the desk the corduroy couch the low bookcase with flossie's yellow slipper and barry's lioness upon it seemed to move back and stand upon the same plane the objects themselves appeared immovable enough but the sensation of them in his brain somewhere behind his eyes began to move about in a slow dizzy whirl the old touch of unreasoning terror came back together with a sudden terror of the spirit a sickening sinking of the heart a loathing of life terrible beyond words vandover started up striving to keep himself in hand fighting against a wild desire to rush about from wall to wall shrieking and waving his arms over and over again he exclaimed oh what is the matter with me the strangeness of the thing was what unsettled and unnerved him he had all the sensations of terror but without any assignable reason and this groundless fear became in the end the cause of a new fear he was afraid of this fear that was afraid of nothing very gradually however the crisis passed away 
he became a little calmer and as he was mixing himself a glass of whiskey and water at the sideboard he decided that he would go to bed he was sure that he would be better for a good night's rest evidently his nerves were out of order it would not do for him to read late at night he realized all at once that his mind and body alike were exhausted he passed a miserable night dozing and waking at alternate hours until three o'clock when he found it impossible to get to sleep hour after hour he lay flat on his back staring open-eyed into the darkness listening to the ticking of the clock the mysterious footsteps that creaked the floors overhead and the persistent drip of a water faucet outside in the street he heard at long intervals the rattling of wheels as the early milk wagons came and went a dog began to bark three gruff notes repeated monotonously at exact intervals all at once there was a long muffled roll and an abrupt clacking noise it ceased then broke out again sharply paused once more then recommenced settling to a prolonged minor hum the cable was starting up it was almost morning the window of his room began to show a brighter blur in the darkness while very far off he could hear the steady puffing of a locomotive as the first cable car trundled by the house he dropped off to sleep for the last time being waked again toward nine o'clock by the sound of someone shoveling coal outside under his window the shovel clinking and rasping upon the stone sidewalk he felt a little refreshed but as he entered the dining room for his late breakfast the smell of food repulsed him his appetite was gone it was impossible for him to eat toward eleven o'clock that same morning he was pottering idly about his sitting-room winding his clock and shaking down the ashes in the tiled flamboyant stove his mind was still busy going over for the hundredth time all the possibilities of hiram wade's suit and he was just wondering whether something in the way of a compromise might not be arranged when with the suddenness of a blow between the eyes the numbness in his head returned together with the same unreasoning fear the same depression of spirits the same fearful sinking of the heart what it was coming back again this strange attack coming back when even his attention was not concentrated when even there was no unusual exertion of his brain then the torment began this time the crisis did not pass off from now on it persisted continually vandover began to feel strange at first the room looked unfamiliar to him then his own daily life no longer seemed recognizable and finally all of a sudden it was the whole world all the existing order of things that appeared to draw off like a refluent tide leaving him alone abandoned cast upon some fearful mysterious shore nothing seemed worth while all the thousand little trivial things that made up the course of his life and in which he found diversion and amusement palled upon him a fearful melancholia settled over him a despair an abhorrence of living that could not be uttered this only was during the day it was that night that vandover went down into the pit he went to bed early his brain in a whirl his frame worn out as if from long physical exertion he was just dropping into a grateful sleep when his whole body twitched suddenly with a shock and a recoil of all his nerves in an instant he was broad awake 
panting and exhausted as if from a long run once more he settled himself upon the pillow and once more the same leap the same sharp spasm of his nerves caught him back to consciousness with the suddenness of a relaxed spring at last sleep was out of the question his drowsiness of the early part of the evening passed away and he lay back his hands clasped behind his head staring up into the darkness his thoughts galloping incessantly through his brain suffering without pain as he had never imagined a human being could suffer though racked with torture from head to heel from time to time a slow torsion and crisping of all his nerves beginning at his ankles spread to every corner of his body till he had to shut his fists and teeth against the blind impulse to leap from his bed screaming his hands felt light and as he told himself jumpy all at once he felt a peculiar sensation in them they seemed to swell the fingers puffing to an enormous size the palms bulging the whole member from the wrist to the nails distended like a glove when one has blown into it to straighten it out then he had a feeling that his head was swelling in the same way he had to rub his hands together to pass them again and again over his face to rid himself of the fancy but the strange numb feeling at the base of the skull did not keep him from thinking he would have been glad if it had and now at last when the terror overcame him it was no longer causeless he knew now what he feared he feared that he was going mad it was the punishment that he had brought upon himself some fearful nervous disease the result of his long indulgence of vice his vile submission to the brute that was to destroy his reason some collapse of all his faculties beginning first with that which was highest most sensitive his art spreading onward and downward till he should have reached the last stages of idiocy it was nature inexorably exacting it was a vast fearful engine riding him down beneath its myriad spinning wheels remorselessly irresistibly the dreadful calamities that he had brought upon himself recoiled upon his head crushing him to the dust with their weight of anguish and remorse ida wade's suicide his father's death his social banishment the loss of his art hiram wade's lawsuit menacing him with beggary and now this last his approaching insanity it was no longer fire driving out fire the sense of all these disasters seemed to come back upon him at once as keen as bitter as when they had first befallen he had told himself that he did not believe in hell could there be a worse hell than this but all at once without knowing why moved by an impulse a blind resistless instinct vandover started up in bed raising his clasped hands above him crying out oh help me why don't you help me you can if you only will who was it to whom he cried with such unerring intuition he gave no name to this mysterious you this strange supernatural being this mighty superhuman power it was the cry of a soul in torment that does not stop to reason the wild last hope that feels its own helplessness that responds to an intuition of a force outside of itself the force that can save it in its time of peril trembling his hands still clasped above him vandover waited for an answer 
waited for a miracle in the tortured exalted state of his nerves he seemed suddenly possessed of a sixth sense he fancied that he would know there in that room in a few seconds while yet his hands remained clasped above his head it was his last hope if this failed him there was nothing left still he waited he felt that he should know when the miracle came that he would suddenly be filled with a sense of peace of quiet joy still he waited there was nothing nothing but the vast silence the unbroken blackness of the night a night that was to last for ever there was no answer nothing but the deaf silence the blind darkness but in a moment he felt that the very silence the very lack of answer was answer in itself there was nothing for him even that vast mysterious power to which he had cried could not help him now could not help him could not stay the inexorable law of nature could not reverse that vast terrible engine with its myriad spinning wheels that was riding him down relentlessly grinding him into the dust and afterward after the engine had done its work when that strange other time should come that other life what then no not even then nothing but outer darkness then and the gnashing of teeth nothing but the deaf silence nothing but the blind darkness nothing but the unbroken blackness of an eternal night it was the end of everything with a muffled cry oh i can't stand this vandover threw himself from his bed groping his way out into the sitting-room by this time he was only conscious of a suffering too great to be borne everything else was blurred as in a thick mist for nearly an hour he stumbled about in the darkened room bruising himself against the furniture dazed numb trying in vain to find the drawer of the desk where he kept his father's revolver at last his hand closed upon it gripping it so tightly that the hundreds of little nicks and scratches made by the contact of the tacks and nails which he had hammered with it nipped and bit into his palm like the teeth of tiny mice a vague feeling of shame overcame him at the last moment he had no wish to be found sprawling upon the floor dressed only in his nightgown he lit the gas and put on his bathrobe drawing the cords securely about his waist and neck when he turned about to pick up the revolver again he found that his determination had weakened considerably and he was obliged to reflect again upon the wreck of his life and soul before he was back once more to the proper pitch of resolution it was five minutes to two and he made up his mind to kill himself when the clock struck the hour he spent the intervening moments in arranging the details of the matter at first he thought he would do it standing but he abandoned that idea fearing to strike his head against the furniture as he fell he was about to decide upon the huge leather chair when the remembrance of his father's death made that impossible he finally concluded to sit upon the edge of his bed leaning a little backward so as not to fall upon the floor and he dragged the bed out into the sitting-room preferring somehow to die there for a moment the idea of lying at length upon the bed occurred to him but in an instant he recoiled from it horrified at the thought of the death that struck from above no it would be best to sit upon the edge of the bed falling backward with the shot then he wondered as to which it should be 
his heart or his head evidently the head was the better there upon the right side in the little hollow of the temple and the next moment he found himself curiously touching and pressing the spot with his fingers all at once he heard the little clicking noise that the clock makes a minute or so before the hour it was almost two he sat down upon the edge of the bed cocking the revolver waiting for the clock to strike an idea came to him and he looked at the calendar that stood at the right of the clock upon the top of the low bookcase it was the twelfth of april thursday that then was to be the date of his death thursday april twelfth at two in the morning so it would read upon his gravestone for an instant the awfulness of the thing he was to do came upon him and the next instant he found himself wondering if they still coursed jack-rabbits with greyhounds down at coronado the way they used to do when he was there all at once the clock struck two and at the very last instant a strange impulse to seat himself before the mirror came upon him he drew up a chair before it watching his reflection intently and even as he raised the revolver he suddenly changed his purpose without knowing why and all at once crammed the muzzle into his mouth he drew the trigger he heard no sound of a report he felt no shock but a great feebleness ran through his limbs a relaxing and weakening of all his muscles his eyes were open and he saw everything small and seemingly very far off as through the reversed end of an opera glass suddenly he fainted when vandover came to himself again it was early morning the room was full of daylight but the gas was still burning little by little the fearful things of the night came back to him he realized that he had shot himself and he waited for the end not daring to move his eyes closed his hands still gripping the scratched butt of the revolver in his lap for a long time he lay back in the chair motionless his consciousness slowly returning like an incoming tide at length he started to his feet with an expression of scorn and incredulity he was as sound as ever there was neither scratch nor scar upon him he had not shot himself after all curiously he looked at the revolver throwing open the breech the cylinder was empty he had forgotten to load it what a fool he exclaimed laughing scornfully and still laughing he walked to the centre of the room under the chandelier and turned out the gas but when he turned about facing the day once more facing that day and the next and the next throughout all the course of his life the sense of his misery returned upon him in its full strength and he raised his clenched fist to his eyes shutting out the light ah no he could not endure it the horror of life overpassed the horror of death he could not go on living a new thought had come to him wretched as he was he saw that in time his anguish of conscience even his dread of losing his reason would pass from him he would become used to them yes even become used to the dread of insanity and then he would return once more to vice return once more to the power of the brute the perverse and evil monster that was knitted to him now irrevocably part for part fibre for fibre he saw clearly that nothing could save him he had had his answer that night there was to be no miracle was it not right then 
that he should destroy himself was it not even his duty the better part of him seemed to demand the act should he not comply while there was yet any better part left in a little while the brute was to take all on the shelves above his washstand vandover found the cartridges in a green pasteboard box and loaded all the chambers of the revolver carefully he closed the breech but as he was about to draw back the hammer all his courage all his resolution crumbled in an instant like a tower of sand he did not dare to shoot himself he was afraid the night before he had been brave enough how was it now that he could not call up the same courage the same determination when he thought over the wreck the wretched failure of his life the dreadful prospect of the future years his anguish and his terror were as keen as ever but now there was a shrinking of his every nerve from the thought of suicide the instinctive animal fear of death stronger than himself his suffering had to go on had to run its course even death would not help him let it go on it was only the better part of him that was suffering in a little while this better part would be dead leaving only the brute it would die a natural death without any intervention from him was there any need of suicide suicide great god his whole life had been one long suicide end of chapter 15 part 1